Welcome to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green, where you'll discover actionable strategies to help your student to reach their academic goals, to excel at standardized testing, and to plan for the college admissions process painlessly. And now, here's your host, Dr. Stephen Green. Dr. Stephen Green here, the success doctor. It's podcast time. It is podcast time. Thank you to all of those who are listening, subscribing, supporting the Make the Great Podcast. My goal always is to give people actionable items they can use right away to maximize their education. My goal is you could listen to a podcast, pause it even, turn it off, go do something immediately to help yourself or your child or your students to move forward and get better grades and all that fun stuff. So today, get your pencils, get your thinking caps. I got an excellent guest in attendance today, David Bradley. Uh, I think this is going to be really interesting discussion. So as a matter of introduction, welcome, Dave. Hi, Steve. How are you? Let me, uh, let me Dave gave me a copious uh, biography here, but I think it's all very relevant. So <laughs> let me share this with the audience where we're going to. So Dave, David. 25 years experience in the architecture design business. Founded Blueprint for Living Coaching with a mission to help design professionals to seek access to their untapped potential, develop their leadership, and create great things in their personal and professional lives. He draws upon his skills as a coach, architect, leader, motivational speaker, mentor, and businessman to inspire excellence in his clients and call them to be their best. 2014 graduate of Accomplished Coaches Training Program, comprehensive, intensive, year-long program that emphasizes an ontological approach to coaching. I really don't understand what that means. You can explain oh, we can that talk in a second. About that. Absolutely. Uh, an extensive hands-on leadership experience. I get that. That sounds solid. Uh, has participated <laughs> on the leadership team for the coaches training programs in Chicago, Seattle, Washington, D.C., Victoria, British Columbia, and the United Nations. Whoa, he's a member of the International Coach. Federation and a PCC certified coach. Prior to being a coach, he built a successful career as an architect. My dream job growing up. And first as a principal of Bradley Architects and later as a managing director of the North American operations of Oficom. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Oficom. Yeah, a German-based design and engineering firm specializing in tensile structures. You'll have to explain to me what that is. Uh, he's still actively engaged in both firms and active member of the American Institutes of Architects. And in 2014, he was the president. Graduated from Georgetown University with honors. Bachelor of Science in Foreign Service and later with honors University of Illinois, Chicago. Master of Architecture degree. Licensed to practice architecture in the state of Illinois. Avid cyclist, just like me. Twice completed a 500-mile, whoa, Twin Cities to Chicago AIDS ride, raising over $37 for aid and HIV support organizations. I find this very interesting, and a certified rescue diver. Mm -hmm. Wow. Been lucky enough to dive reefs from the Caribbean to the Great Barrier Reef, fluent in Deutsch, German, conversational in French, and dabbles in Swedish and Portuguese. Abrigado. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, Abrigado. I think I know three Portuguese words, so I will dazzle you with my Portuguese right out of the gate here. So uh, for my audience... There is so much uh, value here. Dave brings so much to the table. We went to break this up into like 11 
episodes. But um, let, let, where do you want to start, Dave? Let, let's start with let's start with your background because it is distinguished. Yeah. It is impressive. Uh, you've obviously worn a few different hats in your in your life, right? Um, Absolutely. So why, why don't we talk about where you are now? I happen to know. I know a little background here. Dave is on a big adventure. Uh, he has uprooted himself from the corporate world in Chicago and is uh, living in Lisbon, Portugal right now on a kind of discovery journey, which I think is a really a, a great positive sort of risk. So let's start with that. Let's talk about your personal mission for a second or your personal journey um, yeah. into the coaching and the counseling and how we can help students to reach their potential as well. So yeah, as you get to Lisbon, what about that? Thank, Is thank that you. a title of a movie without, or something? <laughs> without introduction, you know, you know, it's funny. First of all, I mean, thanks, thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to be talking to you and your audience and uh, the conversation we're going to have. Uh, you know, it's funny when I listen to, uh, obviously I, I wrote my bio, but when I listen to somebody else read it, sort of objectively from the outside it's like wow i have worn a lot of hats right there's, there's there's been a really i've been really blessed to have an extremely varied and uh differentiated background i've, I've dabbled in all sorts of things and i think to if I, I think one of the things that really strikes me about my own background is just the Renaissance man sort of experience. I've, I've really kind of run the gamut in terms of educational experiences, work experiences, life experiences. And yet somehow all of it has managed to coalesce and put me where I am right now. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, I currently, so the basic nutshell is I'm a licensed architect. I still do practice uh, working with Officium. That's that firm out of Stuttgart, Germany. Um, and we do a very specialized type of architecture called tensile structures. That's structures that are all stainless steel cable and stainless steel mesh netting. So they're all under tension rather than uh, compressive structures, which would be like brick and concrete and wood. Right? Those are under compressive strength. Whereas tensile structures are held up by being under tension. They're actually being pulled into place. Like a bridge, kind of. Very much so. Think of um, the Golden Gate Bridge, actually, is a great example of a tensile structure. Hmm. We have, and two, we have one, two of them in Philadelphia. Right. And one of the projects that my firm worked on, the German firm, is uh, the currently under construction suicide prevention barrier for the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, they're currently hanging stainless steel mesh nets off the sides of the bridge to prevent people from jumping. Uh, and my firm in Germany was responsible for the design of, of that. So it's a very niche kind of architecture. Most people think of architects as designing houses and buildings. I just happen to be in a different branch of architecture that's unusual and extremely interesting, a lot of fun. So let me let me ask you one question here. Yeah. Uh, the, the sort of renaissance concept, right, which is, I think, something everybody would like to be able to do, but sometimes the trappings of a house and a family and you know, all that sort of thing, and, and this is something I think parents relate to more than students, but um, it, just to start, because you know, some of my audience is students and parents with students, and, and I... 
did, when you were in high school or college or even graduate school, um, did, did you see a linear, any sort of linear connection from where you were then to where you are now? Or was mm -hmm. this just sort of like the boat going across the ocean and the current took you where you were going to end up? Uh, because obviously you need, you needed the um, academic credentials to get to where you were. You can't just walk in an office and be an architect, of course, sure. right? Right, right? So there had to be some combination of uh, a, a, a book track of courses, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, some sequential architecture one, architecture two, whatever, tensile strength, advanced tensile strength. Right. <laughs> uh, but then also you're driven by your own passion, if that's the word I can use. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is something I get with my students a lot. Yeah, you know, I'm sitting here with the 10th grader. Why do I need to learn geometry? When am I ever going to use it? Well, I, you know, I only like history or, uh, you know, what, why did I learn Spanish for? We speak English in the United States. Yeah. Um, and I try to explain to them, and it's probably the same thing their parents would say is, A, you never know. B, sometimes learning for the sake of learning is important. Right. Um, but, but from a counseling standpoint, I mean, you're, you're also a certified coach. Mm -hmm. who, who, who are you looking to work with? What, what's your ideal coachable person here? And, and Oh, wow. Well, let's see. Let me start with the first part of that, which was... Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, let's, about, let's back up one step. In your mind, sure. uh, for my audience, let's define coaching. Let's make sure everybody's okay. clear on what that is, because coaching, you know, is a baseball coach, you know, there's a yeah, yeah. tennis coach. So no, that's awesome. Professional, so a professional to, coach at your level is, is, is doing what? Yeah. So in addition to being an architect, I'm also certified and trained as a professional coach or an executive coach. And what that means is that I partner with people. In my case, I've, I've chosen to work specifically with architects and other design professionals because those are kind of the people in my community. And I partner with them to have a conversation about where they are now, where they want to be, and what's in the way of them getting there powerfully and quickly. So it's a, it's coaching is a professional partnership. I kind of come in objectively to be able to point out behaviors, thought patterns, speech, things that people are doing that are getting in the way of moving themselves forward powerfully. So one example, just one example, uh, I was approached by a, a husband and wife, both architects who were working for an architecture firm, and they were being offered golden handcuffs. Basically, they were being offered a partnership in the firm, but in order to do it, they were going to have to be constrained and not really do the kind of work they wanted to do. And they approached me and said, hey, we actually want to open our own firm. And they hired me to, first of all, figure out how to extract themselves politically, diplomatically from their current situation, hmm. and then how to lay the foundation for building their own firm. And over the course of six to eight months, we worked together and they now have their own architecture practice in uh, Seattle that's actually really, really successful. So that's one example of a, a client. This that is I've the heard. classic conundrum of life, right? Security versus... Right. Versus what's, on other, what's on the other side? Unknown, right? Excitement, sometimes yeah, boring, boring security. <laughs> I'm saying that a little bit sarcastically, versus sort of the excitement of the unknown. But 
you know, the cliff. But how do you do it with integrity? How do you do it? So that's one example of uh, the kind of client that I would work with as a coach. But what I think your, your listeners might be really interested in is the path. When you mentioned it being sort of a boat with a current, it's, much, it's very much like that. Mm-hmm. I did not go into college either wanting to be an architect or wanting to be a coach. I actually wanted to work internationally. And I sort of had it in my mind. I knew that I loved languages. I loved history and economics and politics. And Georgetown School of Foreign Service, their program was very multifaceted and really spoke to who I understood myself to be as a Renaissance man. Sort of, I loved a little bit of everything. And their program was this very, very well-rounded liberal arts education with an international bent to it, right? Um, I explored all of that in school. I had economics. I had some business classes. I was required to pass a proficiency in a language, uh, which I did in both French and German. Uh, I think, let's see, history classes, politics, international politics was my major, and I minored in German. And none of this was really targeted, like somebody who says, I'm going to go be a doctor or someone who enters school and says, I'm going to be an architect. I really was getting a well-rounded education. And I think the thing that worked best for me was that in my undergraduate degree, I learned really basic foundational skills like critical thinking, Mm -hmm. how to speak clearly and intentionally, how to write well and with clarity. Um, I gained those skills And I also gained a lot of general knowledge. And I think that sort of lay a really solid foundation. So I know that there's kind of a joke out there that if you're an English major, you're never going to be employed, right? It's kind of a joke. It's it's out there. (laughs) Well, well, this is fair to say. Actually, a context, because as an English major, you're taught to think critically. You're taught these skills that are incredibly valuable in any any let, me, let, me, let me put this into a slightly different language. Um, sure. You, you have a very strong foundational education, what I'm going to call life skills. Yes. Yep. Uh, and, but, uh, but sort of through the lens of learning and through book knowledge. Mm-hmm. Critical thinking, I don't think anybody's going to say is not a valuable skill. And that, listen, to, I don't care if you're 10 years old, 12 years old, 50 years old, or 1,000 years old. Right. Um, in my sort of world, I use these terms synonymously. Coach. Mm-hmm teacher, tutor, guide. Uh, there's probably other words we could throw in there, but because some people uh, compartmentalize them, like, like a coach is almost like an esoteric-ish sort of thing. Teacher sounds more accessible. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. because people have teachers their whole lives. Tutor is like, oh, like almost has quasi-negative connotations sometimes because yeah. you only need a tutor if you need help, um, that, which isn't true, audience. It's not true. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But... Uh, all right, so you know what's I interesting? Put, I, I, would actually... put, I would put coach in, in the, it's, 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 it's interesting where, you're, where the definitions lie because- I'm trying to uncompartmentalize yeah. them, but I, you know, just from like yeah. people in different, people from a different perspective, even though the four words I threw out there kind of have the same role, right. uh, depending on where people are and what they're ready for, which as a coach, I know you'll understand, they're going to look at these things differently. You know, like maybe you right. almost graduate 
from a, a, a teacher to a coach in a sense, because a coach might be a more specialized. One of the things you said I found very interesting uh, was kind of like, here's now, here's future, and you're trying to help people create a path to get there. They might already know what it is. They just don't, well, they might want to know what it is, but there are things in the way. Mm -hmm. uh, there's things that are preventing them from understanding it. There's uh, inhibitions holding them back. There's negative, there's fears. Um, so th th this is something you're going to have to explain to me. Ontological yeah. versus yeah. facilitative, facultative. There's a couple ways you can answer that. That's um, a great distinction. So let me get it. That's, and I think your listeners will appreciate this. So ontology is the study of being. Hmm. And B-E-I-N-G. There, there are two different types. It comes from the, comes from the Greek. Um, and there are two different types of coaching out there. One of them is facilitative coaching. Facilitative coaching is a lot like consulting. So a facilitative coach, um, here, I'll give you the best example. Say that a client comes to me and they say, David, my finances are a mess and I want to, I want to retire in 10 years. Okay. As a facilitative coach, which I've got training to do, we're going to take a look at their income, at their expenses. We're going to balance their checkbook. We're going to get them on um, a software like Quicken or QuickBooks. We're going to connect them with a financial advisor. We're going to put together a budget. We're going to set goals for them, right? And give them practices and things to do that are going to get them from point A to point Z. That's a facilitative approach. So let, let, let's and it's uh, very very valid. The layman's term. It's 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 sort of um, structural. Yes, and it's, it's and it's very much like a consultant that you would hire to come in and fix something. So right? you give me a plan, I do the plan, and I get the results. Exactly. Okay. The difference is I'm also trained as an ontological coach, and what that means is we start asking other questions that are broader, like who. Are you being about your money? What's your relationship to money? How does money work in your life? Like, More motivation. Yes, but they're also, it's, it gets to the, the root of their relationship to money, power, um, all of it, finances, hmm. that is at the root cause of why they are where they are. Can I, can I why the breakdown in the finances? And once we can determine what their relationship to money is and shift that, then you actually get the results. But think about this, like somebody who tries, wants to lose weight, for example, right? You can put, and we've all seen it before, and I've gone through it before, you, you, join, you get on a diet and you do all of this stuff and you lose the weight, but a lot of people gain the weight back. That's and the right. reason is because they haven't actually dealt with the ontology. They haven't dealt with their relationship to food and their body and their self-esteem. Let me give you an example I think would be very close to home with my caseload. Most of the people I work with, even if I'm starting with them at 8 or 10 years old, ultimately their goal is to go to college. Right. You know, I do a lot, you know, tutoring subjects, college prep. So really there's the exact same thing. There's the facilitated part, which is here's how you do math, here's how you organize a notebook. And then there's the why, right? Um, so I, the easiest example for me would be SAT prep. Doing SAT prep is 
is arduous. There's a good, I don't know what language that comes from. It must have Latin <laughs> somewhere in it. it it's, it's annoying. It, it's not fun for kids, but their why is bigger, is it allows them to overcome, right? I want to go to college, so I'm willing to put the work in to do the structural things to get there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes That's people's part of it. And the ontology part would be, who do you understand yourself to be as a learner? Do you walk around, for example, from a coaching perspective, what's your thought about learning? Do you, do, are you walking around saying, I can't do math, right? If you've, if, you've got that, if you've got that story, that context of math is hard, I can't do math, math is stupid or whatever, that's in the way, it's, it doesn't matter how much you practice math, if you don't shift your relationship to math and your relationship to who you are as an intelligent person, hmm. it's going to be a heck of a lot harder for you to actually achieve the results that you want. You might get there, right? Facilitative coaches, and there's, I'm not bashing facilitative coaching at all. There's value to it. But like I said, with the, if you, you can put all the structures in the world in place, but if you don't shift somebody's core beliefs about who they are, Mm-hmm. It's going to be a heck of a lot harder to get the results, and the results may not stick. So think about it this way, too. I took the SATs. I'm a really good test taker. I had something in my mind, just I, I take tests well. I always have. I have friends who are no, they're, in many cases, I think they're far more brilliant than I am, but they don't take tests well. Um, and they have a story about it, but they're brilliant people. So if they could shift that, and I watched a couple of them do it, is they actually shifted their, their being around test taking, where they stopped the story that kept repeating of, I don't take tests well, right? And they started learning how to become a person who takes tests well. So, so it's and a mindset shift. For sure. It's a mindset thing, very, very much. Attitude. Attitude. And that doesn't guarantee, you know, you're going to get a 1600 on the SAT. Right. In my world, I, I talk all the time when I have students, or however I'm working with them, about reaching potential. Not everybody's going to get an A+, plus, right? That's our goal. Right. If your capability is a B, or, I don't know, whatever, 1210, 1100, 1420 SAT, that's where we want to be. Yeah. Um, so, so in, in, in the coaching situation, because um, I think what we do in this way is kind of similar. Whenever I start with a student or a family, there's an assessment point, right? Yeah. Where are you now? You What's going be? on? What are you good at? What are you struggling with? You're here. You want to get here. What do we need to do to get in between? It's not unlike any sort of coaching guidance, tutoring, you know, the, the Goal word. setting, all of it, yeah. Um, so sometimes you, you have to just define a goal. I want an A, I want a 1600, and then we work towards it. Right. Um, I think, you, in a sense, what you're doing is on a bigger stage, you know, people sort of changing their whole lives around. But um, possibilities, let's talk about that. How does that fit into all of this? Just pick that word out. You know what? So here's the thing. You mentioned uh, earlier, I'm in Lisbon, Portugal, right? 
I decided about a year ago after 26 years of living through Chicago winters that I did not want to go through another winter in Chicago. I was just kind of done. And I thought, I don't have anything to prove. <laughs> um, I decided I wasn't going to be in Chicago for the winter. And I didn't know what it was going to look like. But I told my coach, because I work with a coach, I told my coach, I said, I will not be in Chicago this next winter. I'm just done, right? And I created the possibility of traveling outside the country. I didn't know how it was going to work. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I didn't know where I was going to go. I just created that possibility. And over time, with my coach, we created a project around it with milestones, with goals, you know, to kind of narrow things down, make Check, it happen. Checkpoints, I call them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I moved here January 7th, and I've been here now for about three months. But I know you've got a big adventure on the horizon, which we can And I've got a huge adventure coming up. But part of this was, and I, I have to say, is you have to create the possibility and learn how to say yes in the face of all of the reasons that come up in front of you that tell you no. Well, are you nuts? You got a good job. You got a hell. What are you right. doing? Uh, the, like, the problem is we create possibility and, it's, and we can get really present to some terrific possibility. Like I'm going to go to X college or I'm going to go into this industry or this field. And that possibility gets distinguished. It, it, it gets extinguished like that. It just, it's very, very fleeting. So you've got is that, to is that, is that, is that yes. internal or is that external or both? We're wired. We're wired to be at the effect of the circumstances that we experience. It's almost a survival so mechanism. It's a survival thing to keep us safe. Right. Right. right so right. when I said, I'm going to move abroad for three months. And right? then somewhere in your subconscious says, ah. I'm immediately, the questions start to pop up. How are you going to afford that? How are you going to keep your business running? What if blah, 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 like all yeah, of you have no friends and right. Every, there's all and the reasons that's why what stops most people. I'll tell you something. When I get, I, I can't tell you how many times you said this earlier in the call. When I tell people at a cocktail party that I'm an ar architect, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said, oh God, I always wanted to be an architect. Right? <laughs> you know why I wanted to be an architect? Why is that? I'll tell you. No, no, well, I'll, I'll tell you why in a second, but finish your Yeah, thing. and so what happens is, and you know what the reason is that they give? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with the math. Hmm. I couldn't deal with the math. Oh, so they, they so couldn't do the math to become an artist. They that, couldn't that do the math, or they math. thought the math was too hard, or they didn't like math, or whatever else, right? Hmm. So what I find fascinating about that conversation is there's a possibility. Somebody who, in their education saw something that inspired them. They were like, God, I would love to be an architect. And they had great reasons for it. They wanted to impact society. They wanted to design things. They wanted to be creative, right? And they let math get in the way of their dreams, right? And I hear this frequently. It is a four-letter word, right? Some people, but that math is a context. Math is hard, is a story. It's just a story. But we let stories like that squash our possibility constantly. So mm -hmm. if somebody out there wants to be a doctor 
and they have some story or maybe their family members have a story about why you can't be a doctor they'll start to they'll start to believe it we believe these stories because we think they're real math is not hard it's just not we have a story that math is hard and we gather as much experience as possible to prove ourselves right See, I got that problem wrong. Math is hard. I can't do math. There's the really insidious one. Girls can't do math. Well, that's a bunch of BS. Right, right. Right? That's, that's but, but how many women has that prevented from becoming mathematicians or going into the sciences, right? These are dangerous contexts in some respects. Because and and this, this, this could be extended to anything, right? I mean, you're anything. talking specifically about math. I'm talking about math, but I mean, it's same with language. Listen. I'm learning Portuguese right now because I'm living in Lisbon. And I can tell you all the reasons why Portuguese might be difficult, but it's also a, a heck of a lot of fun. And I just keep pushing and challenging myself. So I think when you talk about possibility, we do this everywhere as we create, we have dreams, we have aspirations of things that we want. And we are wired, unfortunately, to immediately put obstacles in our own way and back away from our dreams. So let me, let me ask you a question. Um, and just as a digression, you know why I wanted to be an architect? Because yes, my, favorite, my favorite show growing up, and this will date me, was the Brady Bunch. Yes, of course. <laughs> I think I think Mike Brady did more for the architectural world absolutely uh, than than, than uh, IE Pay or I'm probably saying his right. name wrong or, or uh, uh, Michelangelo. Well, I don't know. And here's a dirty little secret, actually. <laughs> do you have to do you have to know math to become an architect? I don't know. Yes, um, yes, yes. You do. Probably okay. some trigonometry so or geometry. I had to know. I had to have a college level course in uh, calculus. Okay. okay. So, and for some people they're like, oh, calculus, that's way too, way too steep a curve. It's fine. I took a calculus class. I happened to like calculus because to me it was a puzzle. It wasn't, it wasn't wow. hard. It was like solving a puzzle. But here's the dirty little secret. You don't need math to be an architect. Once you're there. <laughs> yeah, well. Once you're there in school, I used math so infrequently. I needed it for my structures classes. Mm -hmm. Honestly, you need more um, you need more geometry than you need anything else, because you have to understand how materials and shapes work, right? But to this day, I haven't used calculus in twenty five years, so it's a really interesting fallacy for most people. Yes, you need math to get in to be in to get into school to be accepted to start architecture. By and large, once you're there. And that's true with so many things. Let me tell you what comes up a lot in my world. Um, and this is true with younger children and older one is the gap of time. The gap of time. See, later in life, it's, it's, it's easier to pivot, right? If I'm 43, I don't know, whatever, and I'm just unhappy, I can pick up and go somewhere. If I'm 15 and I'm in ninth grade, I, I pretty much have three or four years. I'm going to be in high school. I don't have a ton of, that ability in your life. Um, obviously at that age, you know, kids are becoming more independent, at least intellectually. It's really more of a parent uh, child relationship at that point. But um, that, that, that is something 
that I see a lot is, is, mm-hmm. is that idea of, well, you know, I want to do this, but it's going to be four or five, six years out. Or, or the inability to connect when you do the work. This is one of the big challenges I have with prepping kids for the SAT, if you think about it. We're prepping for SAT roughly through junior year. So, right. Well, by the time you take the test, let's just say it's in May of junior year. Right now it's March. Um, but then you're not even going to apply to college till August or September, October. You're not going to hear from them until December or so. You're not going to go for a whole another eight months. So th- th- there's whatever the polar opposite of instant gratification is. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very, very super prolonged gratification. And yeah. in our society, our world, our whatever, uh, that doesn't always fly. Um, the, the, I, what, what, when you were talking about the whole possibility piece, you know, what popped in my head was the whole field of dreams idea, right? The, you build it, um, <laughs> create it, you manifest the thought, manifest the action. Um, the, the, so let me ask you this. Um, I think by all standards, most people have considered you successful in your career. Yeah. Like you could have stayed in Chicago, punched the clock, so to speak. Uh, maybe been mostly happy, had some frustrations of things, you know, you always wanted to go to Paris, you know, or whatever. Um, but it, 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 when, when somebody's younger, it, they don't have that same, um, I don't know what word to use, angst. Is that too strong a word? Maybe that, or there's probably a German word for it because they have all these fancy German words, <laughs> all these emotions that you can't capture as well in English. Um, but, but, from the perspective of my audience, how important is it to just trust your instincts to just, you know, within what you can control? Cause let's say you're talking to a 14 year old, right? Listen, I know you don't love school or whatever. Maybe you love school. Right. Um, and you want to preserve that, that, that curiosity. Mm-hmm. You want to preserve that sort of childhood uh, innocence in a sense, but yet we need to, be aware of the realities of what's going on and there's this kind of push and there there are opposing forces right it's like the the peter pan complex versus you got to pay the rent (laughs) right right Right. so um i know you you're talking about trusting yourself and all that but how can we kind of put that from a parent's perspective as motivators um like how can a parent positively influence their children um, you know, sometimes, listen, I got kids. I wish they listened to me. Anybody as a parent knows, you know, you could say the same thing to your kid a hundred times and somebody right. else would say it to them once and they'll listen to them. But um, uh, if I'm a parent and yeah. I'm trying to motivate my children or child, whatever, um, any message you would give them, language they could use? Oh, gosh. Down. You know, so this is where I would actually turn to the ontology of it as it ends in all Honestly, I'm not a parent, so uh, I, I have the wonderful ability to stand outside and be judgmental without having no, kids. No, we, we call that objective. <laughs> okay, there you go. Be objective. <laughs> here's, here's what I think. You know, we were talking about this, doing a series here of, if I knew then what I knew now. Yes, right? which is coming. It's just, and it's and if, if I, at the age of... 13, 14, 15, 16, um, you've got your entire life ahead of you. 
and everything is super immediate. You want answers right then and there. You want to, I wanted so much to just decide what am I going to be, right? Get on with your life. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a marine biologist. I'm going to be, I wanted that so much, that certainty so that I could just do it, right? And I got very frustrated because I seemed to like a whole bunch of things and my future seemed so muddy. It's like, where am I going? I have no idea what I'm doing. If I knew then what I know now, I would say enjoy every single thing that you love, pursue it, follow it, have fun with it, enjoy it, and don't go choosing something because you think it's the right thing to do. Or somebody else is pushing you in. Somebody else's idea of what you should be doing. Follow your own path. And that's where, as a parent, I think one of the hardest things that most parents I see have to deal with is having faith in their kids' ability to, to survive. Mm-hmm. Right? Parents love their kids and they want them to succeed and thrive and everything else. And oftentimes have their own agenda for what's going to be right for their kid. The hardest thing that you can do that I've seen and with my friends and their kids is trust that it's all going to work out and it's all going to be okay and allow them to explore and have fun and enjoy what they enjoy and experiment and try on all different hats mm-hmm. because it's all valuable. At the beginning of my career, I knew I wanted to do something international. I had no idea what that would look like. And there was no particular job path. There was no career path that I was following per se. I just started doing things that sort of pointed in that direction of something international. Well, I've traveled the globe as an architect. I'm currently living abroad. And my plan next year is to do a world tour of uh, cities around the world, 12 cities in 12 months where I'm gonna be interviewing architects and design professionals as I go, working as a digital nomad, exploring the world. That is nothing that I ever could have imagined when I was in school. But it all sort of came, it just sort of worked out. Part of it is trusting your gut. You're very right. I could easily, well, technically, I could have easily chosen to live a mediocre life and career being semi-happy, maybe, or just feeling unfulfilled. I'll tell you honestly, in some of the jobs that I've had, if I had stayed in that job, I'd be pretty miserable right now. And part of my work as a coach is to work with people to get them unmiserable (laughs) because they've spent their whole life doing what they thought they should be doing rather than actually following their heart. Let me ask you this, David. Do you think you would have been unhappy because you obviously have a, a kind of a wanderlust, right? You sure. Have, you've, you have this innate uh, curiosity about the world. You have yeah. this vision since you were little of wanting to do it. And, and you're very fortunate to be able to manifest it now, right? Sure. There are some people where they're, they're perfectly happy with this. Um, they used to call it company man. You know, oh, Absolutely. You know, and there's nothing, not, nobody's saying that's good or bad. This is not, there's no, 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 no. This was my own personal choice. And right, exactly. Um, everybody has their, their path. If, if, um, where but do you, you got to follow, follow your heart? 
Let me, let me ask you this. So let, let's, if you want to expand, because I, I know a little bit about your 12 and 12 idea. Um, yeah, yeah. Where, let me ask you this, because what I'm finding very interesting here is, A, how you got from A to B to C to D to now. <laughs> but where, where do you see yourself in, let's say, five years? Um, or do you even know? Do you even oh, want to wow. project? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know what's funny? Is that what the common I'm question I ask time. a 13 or 15-year-old? Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. What I'm finding over time, Stephen, is I think as I progress through these various stages of my career, I'm becoming more and more attuned to and certain of what my skills are, what my purpose is, what I'm doing this all for, and what I want to create. And so... Uh, I went from very muddy in high school, like, oh, I want to do something international, to now I actually have a vision for my career as I move forward. But it's taken years of sort of trying out different things and taking some leaps of faith. And now I would say in the next five, five to 10 years, uh, I definitely see growing my coaching practice with architects and actually becoming the go-to the go-to guy amongst the architecture community for coaching i see creating an international community of coaches i'm sorry international community of architects all of whom are committed to impacting the environment society culture um i see myself giving motivational speeches traveling the globe uh, interviewing other architects, exchanging ideas, creating an environment where the nobility of architects actually gets expressed. I think I love I love the um, the industry of architecture because architects are some of the most creative people I know. They have a real mission for uh, having an impact in the world. They have a vision for how things could be, which is just brilliant. And in many cases, they're the people wearing the white hat. They kind of come in with this broad-based knowledge of how the world works, how materials come together, what spaces should look like and how they should function. Mm -hmm. And I don't know an architect who went into the profession wanting to be a millionaire. <laughs> Hmm. It's a really tough profession, to be honest. Uh, it's very demanding. It's not for everyone. But it's also an incredibly satisfying one, too, when you walk into a space that you designed and you see how it's impacted the environment and the society around you. I want, I'm going to be five years from now celebrating those people because I think they're heroes of our society. Hmm. Hey, listen, I, I no doubt you're going to get there. Um, let's do this in, 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 as sort of a, at least coming into closure here. Sure. Um, is any, I know I asked this sort of another way before, but uh, what, I, what I, my hope for this conversation was to learn more about you, but also to, to give a very different perspective to my audience. Sure. Uh, this podcast often is very, as, as you would say, very f facilitative, right? Mm -hmm. How do you manage time? Here's techniques to help you study. Here's techniques uh, to help you prepare for tests. 
Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of group this one in the ontological side of motivational. Uh, it's almost in the psychology world, uh, sort of cognitive versus you know other types of therapy. Um, right. But I think I think what we're really asking people to do here is just explore their motivations, right? Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is you just have to accept the fact that you're going to have to do some things, maybe a majority of things at times that you don't really want to be doing or aren't don't seem important at the time to you, but are going to get you to a larger goal. So the, the example was you had to take calculus, which wasn't such a horrible thing as you described it, but you needed, you needed to uh, invest yourself in that to get to your bigger goal, right? Right. Absolutely. And that's, that's the message I'm hoping students, parents can transmit to students is that what you're going to do in seventh grade, sixth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, even in, in your university studies uh, may not always directly seem like it's going to lead to where it's going to get you. I, I mean, the way I got to where I am is kind of a rambling <laughs> story like yours as well. Uh, right. I do day to day. Um, just out of my own curiosity, can you say something fancy in German just to wow us with your language skills or <laughs> Uh, what, uh, could I, what could I actually say? Say, uh, say uh, well, no, it's a great study it's a, math. Make sure a, you study math in German. How would you say that? <laughs> well, what I can you tell you? German is um, like they put like eleven words together to make one big word. That's oh no, it's fabulous. What I, what I can tell you along those lines, I took German because I I had an in high school I had an extra um, uh, an extra class that I needed to take, and they gave me the option of a language or gym. And there was no way I was going to take gym. So <laughs> I, gym. Chose, I chose German and I started it and I really liked it because again, for me, German was like a puzzle. It was figuring out the grammar and the structure and how the words all go together. I didn't know where that was ever going to take me or whether I would ever use it. Now see, would you have gotten the job with this German firm if you didn't know German? Well, it's funny. I did get the job without knowing German, but when I showed up, in Stuttgart, and I walked into the office, I was able to say, wir können alle hier sprechen Deutsch, right? We, we can all, and I actually said that wrong. Wir können alle hier Deutsch sprechen, weil Deutsch ist ihre Sprache und ich bin Amerikaner, ich möchte lernen, right? I, we, we can all speak German here because that's your language, I'm an American, I'm here to learn. And they probably said, hey, we know English. <laughs> well, am I, they all did know English, but what was amazing is I heard my boss later at a cocktail party telling one of his guests talking about me. And he said, I had no idea his German was so good. Right? It actually stood me in good stead when I got there and it facilitated, it wasn't a requirement for the job, but it actually really, really was a great. Well, because here's the thing. And I never could have known that was going yeah, to be. But here's the important thing. The, the take home message there is not that you could speak German or not. It was that, it helped to uh, establish relationships with mm-hmm. people that are going to be your coworkers, yes. who you might spend a lot of time with. That you know, not uncommon in the workplace. Um, it, it broke down some barriers. It made you more accessible. It made it. Right? I was able to function in a foreign environment. Um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I got to the point where I had people in Stuttgart came up and where Germans were coming up and asking me how to use the ticket machine at the metro because they thought I was German and I responded back to them and they never said anything like, Oh, you must be an American like that. 
So I think the thing that I would say, and I understand where you're asking with your students who are like, why should I have to focus on this thing now? Because I don't see the benefit, right? Or forget, why should I focus on a period? I'm mad, well, that's stupid, this is stupid, that's stupid, whatever, I hate this. <laughs> My message would be everything, everything is an opportunity. Everything, even a setback is an opportunity. If you can start to shift your thinking to see the opportunity in everything. If you think math is difficult, look at it as an opportunity to expand your ability to be with the challenge, right? Or look at, I don't know if it's language or science or even English class, look at it as an opportunity to learn something about the world because that information, you will never know where that's gonna come in useful. But I promise you at some point in your life, you're gonna thank yourself for having taken the time. Mm -hmm. And you never know, you know, I have a friend recently who uh, contacted me, he's an architect, but he hadn't taken his licensing exams. And here's the deal, you can't, you can work in an architecture firm, but you cannot call yourself an architect until you've become licensed. And becoming licensed is not easy. It's like a bar exam for a lawyer. It's like a bar exam. You, it costs money. It takes a lot of time. There are seven different exams you have to take. Ooh. It's very intensive, right? And this one friend I was talking to, he didn't have his license. And he said, nah, you know, I could just continue working for this firm. And I don't know that I actually need it. And I really got on his case about it. I said, because... How many opportunities are you shutting down right. because you're not taking this? You may exam. not even know because nobody you would don't consider don't know right. what opportunities could be available to you if you apply yourself and you take on this, this challenge. Well, he finally went and he got his exam and because of it, eventually was able to go out and create his own business. He started getting side jobs. He started getting hired to design things that he couldn't have done. He couldn't have done it otherwise. Mm -hmm. You don't know what opportunities you're shutting down by not taking on opportunities that That's show. Tremendous advice. Yeah. Like I may make that the title of this podcast. There you go. Everything is an opportunity. There's another t-shirt for us. It's, right? it's all about possibility. And so the two things I would actually say to ask people to walk away with three things. Right, First three, of all, here we go. Number one, if you're, if you're a parent of um, a kid who's in school right now, who's searching, I would say um, trust them, love them, and support them in whatever they show interest in and really teach them to say yes to anything that shows up that interests them and really foster that. Um, so many possibilities are killed off by people who tell their kids no. No, you can't do that. No, you're never gonna make a living doing that no, that's not the right thing for you to do. Hmm. Support your kids, love them, let them explore, let them play. There's going to be plenty of time for them to figure out where they're Thanks headed. Give them permission to, to, to do what, to at least, at least have the vision. Help them create possibility and teach them that it's okay to say yes in the face of everything else. Um, number two, and now I'm going to start forgetting what my three points were. Right. Um, well, actually, number two is actually, actually one in Portuguese here. <laughs> no. Number two is actually 
those. Create possibility for yourself and notice how quickly and where you shut it down. We walk into, we create all these beautiful dreams for ourselves and our kids and what we want in life. And we very, very quickly shut down the possibility because we've been trained to do so to keep ourselves safe and playing small. And if you need help with that, talk to a coach. <laughs> because the job or, of the or coach tutor. is to keep you focused on staying in the possibility and moving beyond the objections. Right. Um, and I'm going to, I forget what the third one was, so I'm just going to make something up. And, <laughs> it's, and, and it really is just um, dare to love what you do. Passion. Find the thing in your life that makes you passionate and don't settle for less. If you're unhappy, if you're unfulfilled, um, change. You can, you can choose anything outside of that. And I, I am always devastated by the number of people who choose to play small in their lives or who choose to settle because they think that that's all that they're worth. So trust yourself, believe in yourself and create something pretty phenomenal because you're worth it. This is uh, Steve Green on the Make the Grade podcast. I have had the uh, real pleasure of, of speaking to David Bradley for this uh, episode. Uh, you can get a hold of me at S Green, S G R E E N E, at makethegrade.net or on social media at makethegrade or at uh, Facebook and all that jazz. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. I, I talk about it every time. If you don't know it by now, you should. Um, Dave, do you have anything you want to plug? I mean, obviously you have your coaching. Why don't you let the audience know how they can get a hold of you? Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, if anybody has any questions or they simply just want to talk about uh, either architecture or coaching, um, check out my website. It's www.blueprintforliving.coach. Coach. And that's a great way to see what I'm up to and learn a bit more and uh, – I'm happy to talk with anybody about anything. Let's let's close it with this. Uh, what what's the what's the next big thing for you? I mean, you know, what what uh -huh. where are you going from here? You know, like 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 you know, they used to say that with the entertainer. Oh, I'm in Vegas this week. You know, next week we'll be yeah, in Rio. Yeah. You know, then we're going to uh, L.A. and. I am super excited. So I am here in going to Morocco. That sounds yeah, right. I'm, I'm in Lisbon until uh, April 28th, but there's a three week period between now and then that I'll be traveling to three different cities in Morocco, uh, Agadir, Marrakesh and Fez. And then I'm heading home to Chicago at the end of April. I'm going to be there for a few months. Um, unless the conference is canceled, I'm going attending a conference in Rio in July. It's an international union of architects conference. Now, April is not winter, right? April is not winter. Okay, I, just <laughs> make clear, I get that clear here. Yeah, you and then next uh, end of November, I set off uh, with a program called Remote Year. I'll be joining 25 to 40 colleagues uh, from all over the world. We're traveling to 12 cities across the globe, one city per month, uh, living and working and we'll be hitting Hanoi, Vietnam, oh. uh, let's see, Chiang Mai, Thailand, 
Kyoto, Japan, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Santiago, Chile, Lima, Peru, Medellin, Colombia, Mexico City, Mexico, Split, Croatia, Lisbon, Portugal, You're Valencia, so Spain, and then finally ending up in Cape Town, South Africa. So it's going to be a year of uh, international travel and architecture and coaching and offline. Kyoto is one of my favorite cities in the world. I was fortunate to spend some extended time wow. there. I can. I'm so excited to go. I can give you all kind. Of, I'll tell you the best ramen in Japan. Where to go? Excellent, excellent. <laughs> it's <laughs> fabulous. I still miss it. Um, all right, so let's let's wrap this up again. David, thank you. Uh, obrigado. Danke, Sharon. Yeah, there you go. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Multilingual podcast. Uh, you speak Vietnamese, and we're going to have to put that in your portfolio, I guess, pretty soon. Um, Thanks so much. I, I think you've given a huge amount of wisdom, perspective, and knowledge here. I hope people take advantage of, uh, of this in their own lives. Even as a little tiny, it all starts with a small change, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. small changes add up to big changes, and we, that could be a whole other discussion. Uh Check out the next podcast. I appreciate all my subscribers and listeners. My goal is to get this into the ears of as many people as possible. I really feel the more people that can get this sort of information, the more people can get helped and, and move forward in their school lives and in, in the case of today's discussion, maybe in their lives in general. So until next time, Dr. Stephen Green, the Success Doctor, signing off. You've been listening to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. For more resources and support, please visit makethegrade.net.